We, we started the year with this series, Extreme Makeover. Kind of ties with what we have going on in the building. And, and we've talked about how to really organize our life and build our life according to God's plan. We started by talking about our vertical relationship, the relationship that we have between us and God. We saw how the Ten Commandments are so often misunderstood and misappropriated, right? People think it's a bunch of do's and don'ts. And, and God is really on, he's really focused on relationship. And so when God says this, when he says, don't have any other gods before me, don't have any other gods even in my presence, he's talking about the connection that we have with him. He's talking about a relational connect, that we're supposed to have him in the right place, the right priority. Don't, don't make any graven images. It's about, it's about how we worship. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, making sure that we reverence him properly. Word of God tells us that we're supposed to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's all about having margin in our life to where we can connect because more people are worn out by worry than they are by work. And, and, and then what happens, we, we see there in Exodus 20, there's a shift. And, and, and it begins to talk not about the vertical relationship, but it starts about our horizontal relationships, relationships that we have with one another. It starts with the family, honor your father and your mother. Then, then it talks about the way that we, the way that we treat one another. Don't, 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 don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery. And then that issue of being careful that we don't get caught up in and judgmentalism and jealousy. And, and those, those Ten Commandments, they, they speak of relationship. That's the reason why it shouldn't surprise us that when Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? He talked about relationship. Love God, love one another. Love God, love one another. What Jesus says, it echoes what we see in Exodus chapter 20. Love God, love one another. Why don't you take your Bibles and turn to John the fourth chapter. John the fourth chapter, we, we step into a story. As, as she makes her way through the city gate and begins the journey towards the well, she hears the whispers. They're not unfamiliar to her. There she goes again. I'm sure glad that she doesn't go out there and we go out there. The last thing I would want is to talk to that woman. You know, the man that she's with won't even give her his name. Oh, she's just a tramp. She's just, she's about worthless. I think she's less than worthless. The whispers. She's glad that she doesn't have to hang out with those people. Smug. Self-righteous, judgmental. She makes her way, a solitary journey, out towards the well. She goes out at midday. It's hot. But she'd rather deal with the heat of the day than with the fiery barbs that are thrown at her if she goes out there while others are at the well. And as she makes her way to the well, this trip that she does day after day, Enduring the heat. She looks up and she recognizes that on this day she's not alone. And she sighs. What is this going to be? Not again. Not another. I don't know if I can even take it. 
But the one that's there waiting for her is this man named Jesus. And it tells us in John the fourth chapter that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it, it wasn't Jesus who baptized, but it was his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and, and he went back one, once more to Galilee. And John 4, 4 says this. Now he had to go through Samaria. It's an interesting statement. Now he had to go through Samaria. And if you were to look at a map of Israel and recognize that Jesus is going from Jerusalem, which is uh, pretty much in the center of Israel, to Galilee, which is in the, in, in, in the far north region of Israel, kind of in the northeast corner. And you look between Jerusalem and Galilee is Samaria. And so it would make sense now he had to go through Samaria. And yet it doesn't make sense. Why? Because the Jews never went through Samaria. They avoided Samaria. They didn't want to be around there. The topography wasn't good. And they certainly didn't want to be around the Samaritans. They were unclean. They were, in the minds of the Jews, they were horrible, awful people. And so they didn't go through Samaria. They would head over and they'd go along the Jordan River, oftentimes on the east side of the Jordan River, to avoid the Samaritans altogether. Prejudice. Prejudice caused them to totally avoid Samaria and dealing with the Samaritans. So when it says now he, he had to go through Samaria, it really wasn't a, a logistics issue. It really wasn't a geographic issue. He had to go through Samaria because there was purpose. Because there was significance about that leg of the journey. 45 miles. It's about 45 miles from Jerusalem to Sychar. Long way. Jesus and his disciples get there. They get there. Scripture tells us they get there about the sixth hour. They get there about noon. And Jesus' disciples go off to find food. And, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down beside the well. And he waits. Tells us in verse 7 of John chapter 4 that when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The, the beginning of this dialogue, I'm convinced, has to put a smile on Jesus' face. It's the reason why they had to go through Samaria. When Jesus sees her coming in the distance, her view would have been, oh no, not again. And Jesus would have said, oh yeah, once again. He's anticipating this interaction. He's anticipating this dialogue. And, and in this woman, in the Samaritan woman, we learn something very powerful. Right? She comes to the well. Jesus says, uh, give me something to drink. And she says, why are you even talking to me? Seriously, wh why are you even talking to me? This is kind of uncomfortable. First of all, 
I'm, I'm, I'm a woman, you're a man, I, I'm, you're, you're a Jew, I, I'm a Samaritan. You guys hate us. Why would you even talk to us? And Jesus said, well, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for water. And she says, really? Uh, sir, you don't even have anything to get water out of the well. He says, I, I have water you don't know of. I have, I have water that if you, if you drink of this water, you will never thirst again. And she says, oh, that would be a good thing in my life. Give me some of this water. And he says to her, go get your husband. It's interesting to me that Jesus goes there. Go get your husband. This is the source of her issue. This is the source of her identity struggle. This is the source of her pain. The fact that she's been married five times and the man that she's with now won't even give her his name. Jesus does not sidestep around her pain. He steps right into her pain. Doesn't candy coat it. Doesn't pretend it's not there. Go get your husband. I... I don't have a husband. It's right for you to say you don't have a husband because you've been married five times, he says to her. And I want you to catch, I want you to grasp. This, this is the, the whole reason why we look at this portion of Scripture this morning. I want you to grasp what she does. She says, sir, I can recognize that you're a prophet. Recognizing that he's a prophet, recognizing that he has some special dispensation from God, what's the question that she asks? She doesn't ask a political question. She doesn't ask him to somehow predict her future. She doesn't ask a, a selfish question. Here's the question she asks. What's the right posture for worship? Why? Why does she ask that question? The reason why she asks that question is this. Is that we, you and I, mankind... Whether we understand it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, we are designed, we are wired to be worshipers. It is, it is the thing that causes us to feel most alive. It's a thing that causes us to feel most free. Is worship. Genuine worship. Now, I, I don't know about you, but, but in my life, going to a worship service has sometimes not caused me to feel free. Sometimes it's caused me to feel intimidated. I have those times in my life where I'll, I'll go and I'll, I'll visit a, a different church and they're singing songs that I don't know and I'm, I'm concerned that people are looking at me, right? And they know that I don't know the songs. And so I'm, I'm like, I, I, this is uncomfortable for me and I will, I will withdraw. Why? Because at that point, my thought is not on the one who I'm to be worshiping, but my focus is on me. And, and I found this, that when, when my focus is on me, that worship is uncomfortable. But when I can forget about myself for a moment, when I can forget about my inabilities, my faults, my failures, and, and I can truly and, and honestly and humbly worship that that moment is 
It's powerful and fulfilling. It's, it's, it's what we're designed to do. So it, it makes sense that she would ask that question. What's the, what's the proper posture? What's the proper place for worship? I can see that you're a prophet, and, 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 and your people say that we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. My people say we're supposed to worship on this mountain. What's the right way to worship? And, and notice what, what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't say you should worship here, you should worship there. He says there's a time that's coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. This scripture should resonate with us. It should speak loudly to us. That true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. To love God. To truly Love God will bring a response in our life. It's the, reason why, it's the reason why Paul wrote this. He says, therefore, in view of God's mercy. When you come to an understanding of all that God is and all that God has done, it, it makes sense then to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Right, holy and pleasing to God, this is your, your, your reasonable act or your spiritual act of worship. Worshiping in spirit and in truth. I think, it would, I think it would do us well to ask that question. What does that mean? What does it mean to worship the Father in spirit and in truth? Je Jesus made this powerful statement. Now we know this. We know that in the Old Testament that they were worshipers. They had all kinds of festivals. They had all kinds of celebrations. They had all kinds of moments that they set aside for God. Right? We read this in Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Right? Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gate. They, they regularly focused their attention on God. They regularly engaged and focused adoration towards God. And yet, Jesus makes a statement. He says, there's a time coming and it's now come. The true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. You see, it's, it's not just the activity. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah wrote. Hear the word of the Lord, rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the, in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, 
Who asks this of you, this trampling of my court? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations. I, I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your, your new moon festivals and your appointed feast my soul hates. They become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? God says this to the prophet Isaiah. He, he says this to his people. Listen, your expression of worship, I am weary of the burden that they create. I am sick and tired of your half-hearted posture towards me. And you come in here and you go through the motions and you think that just because you perform some act that that's okay. True worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Therefore, in, in view of God's mercy, I think it's easy, especially if you grow up in the, in the church culture, I think it's easy over time to forget what God has done. And it's easy then also to forget who he is. And in that, it can be enjoyable, especially if they sing the song you like and the style that you like, right? It's easy to go to church and enjoy worship. In fact, I believe this. I believe it's a growing trend in Christianity today to not just enjoy worship, but even to worship worship. Just to let me go. Let me go. Let me go from. Let me go from preaching um, to meddling for a moment. You, you know, what? I, I am. I am. I am substantially disheartened by the number of worship songs today that talk about me. Me, 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 me. I, 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 I. And and listen. Not that those songs are in and of themselves bad, but it seems to be there seems to be a. Preponderance of focus in, 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 in the worship world today on me. Me, 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 me. We sound like opera stars. Me, 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 me. I, I love I loved the song that we ended with this morning. Here I am worshiping you. Bowing down in spirit and in truth. God, you are glorious. See, there's, there's something that happens when I, when I shift the focus off of me. So let me help you with something today. Every decision that you make is a decision of the mind, the will, and the emotion. The mind, the will, and the emotion. When you, when, you, when you buy a television, okay, that's a decision of the mind, the will, and the emotion. Now, most decisions that we make, we make emotionally. Okay, we start emotionally and then we back them up logically. Right? 
No, honey, listen, it's a, it's a good thing that we're buying this new 70-inch television because with the new technology, see this TV, it's Energy Star approved. And so what that means is this, it means that it will use substantially less energy than this old TV that we have. And I just, I care about the earth. This is not about me. <laughs> right? This is, this is about the earth. And, and, and listen, we're, we're, we're looking at this new car because it, it, it has a five-star safety crash rating. And I, I, just, I just think our family should be safe. If you want, if you want our family to be unsafe, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to drive this car. Right? We, 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 we make so many of our decisions, we make emotionally, and then we back them up logically. But actually engaging in the decision, is, it, that, that, is a, that is the will. That's the will engaging. Okay, so every decision that you make, it's the decision of the mind, the will, and the emotion. Even, even becoming a Christ follower, it has to make sense in our mind. We have to reconcile the issues in our heart, right, the emotional aspect of it. And then ultimately we have to go, okay, I'm going to do it. Every decision that you make is a decision of the mind, the will, and the emotion. Why? Because that's the way that God made you. That's the way that God wired you. So then... Our approach to God, our worship of God, it's going to engage the mind, the will, and the emotion. That's the reason why, and I know for some of you, if this is the first time being here at Calvary and potentially the first time in a church like this, you may come in and you might be used to being in a church environment that's very stoic. And you go, these people are nuts. Well, yes, but we do not swing from chandeliers or jump pews. We could have last week, we had pews. But the reason why when you come in here there's, there's a sense of emotion is because every decision that you make is a decision of the mind, the will, and the emotion. And it just, it just stands to reason then that when I, would, would I, when I would engage with God, that I would engage with the mind, the will, and the emotion. Right? And so worshiping in, in spirit... writer to Hebrews says this, therefore since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably. Hmm. Worship God acceptably. Well, what does that look like? Well, the writer of Hebrews goes on and says this, worshiping God acceptably with reverence and awe. I, I I like how, how, how Paul put it, okay? Paul, Paul says this, that worshiping the Spirit, that it refers to worship, that, that it emanates from the Spirit of man. Okay? And so spiritual worship is going to involve the mind, the will, and the emotion. Right? Let, let, let's, let's unpack Romans 12. Spiritual worship involves first settling the mind. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy having an understanding of who God is and having an understanding of all that God has done. I, I, I mentally, I, I can get that. I can grasp that. I can get my mind around it. I can get my mind around the fact that God created man. But man chose instead to accept the distortion rather than walking uprightly in right relationship with God. God provided an opportunity, a path to restore man's right relationship with him. 
That's what Jesus did on the cross. That's what we remembered in communion. And recognizing my imperfect condition, that imperfection is sin, recognizing my sinful condition and recognizing that that the consequence of sin or the result of sin or the wages of sin is death being separated from God. And the fact that, that my sin separates me from God and yet God lovingly provided this wonderful way for me to reconnect with him and paying the ultimate sacrifice. When I, when I grasp that, when I get that, when I understand that, it solicits a response. And so worship starts with a, a settling of the mind. I get it. It doesn't mean that I'll have every question answered. There are some things that are just too big for you and I to grasp. And, and, and I, I will offer this to you. I've been, I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, it doesn't mean I'm old. It just means I started very young. And, and I've been doing this for a long time, and yet I learn new things about God every day. And, and the reason for that is just he's so infinitely big. And because God's so infinitely big, I can't, I can't understand, I can't, I can't know it all. Right? And so it, it's, it's not that God is confusing, it's that I'm human, that I can't get it all. But I know enough. I know enough to make the decision. Okay. Let me give you an example. How many of you drove here today? Raise your hand. How many of you can explain to me the ignition system in your car? Yeah. Not very many of you. Okay? I I tell you what I don't understand. So I have this, when I get in my car, I have this thing. And as long as I have this thing in my pocket, I can press a button and my car starts. My first car, 1966 Ford Fairlane. 289, four-barrel carburetor, Krager rims, 60s on the back, 70s on the front. It looked good. Candy apple red, it looked good. It was a heap. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. If I would get that car up over 55 miles an hour, the headlights would fall out. It had power steering to the right, but not to the left. And I regularly, like my, 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 my exhaust system was falling apart, and I would take soup cans and, and hose clamps and just take soup cans and, and, and hose clamps and just keep that thing together with soup cans and hose clamps. But it looked good. Red vinyl interior. It was, it was sweet. I could work on that car. In fact, I, I swapped the engine out on that car. Went from a 289 to a 302. And, uh, and so I could do that. I, I lift up the hood of my car now and I go, huh. I think that's where the windshield washer fluid goes. Anybody else there? It doesn't stop me from using the car. Because here's what I do know. That pedal on the far right, I press that down and the car goes. Pedal next to it, press that and it stops. Yeah, I I got that. I turn this thing, the car turns. 
And, and when I back up, this little camera comes on and it shows me where I'm backing up so I don't hit things. Love it. Don't know how it works, but I love it. I don't have to know everything about the car to use the car. I don't have to know everything about the car to really like my car and to brag on my car. Okay? Ask me about my car. I'll tell you I'm really impressed by it. Ask me about my car. I'll tell you, you know what? You should get one too. I'm not, I'm not going to mention it because we live stream on television. And, and to mention it that way, they're going to have to pay me. But for me to give an endorsement. I don't have to know everything about God to know that he works and and, and to know enough in my mind that I get it. So in settling the mind, it didn't make sense to surrender the will. Right? Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This, this, this connecting with emotion. To worship in spirit means to settle the mind, to surrender the will. And then to sense or to engage in the emotion of it. That's why David write, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O God. How lovely are your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longed and even yearned for you. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. So how do, how do we get there? Because he says this, that true worshipers will worship in spirit. And spiritual worship involves the mind, the will, and the emotion. That's spiritual worship. Because God made you, mind, will, emotion. There's a time coming, Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 23. There's a time coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. So does this mean that prior to this, that they were worshiping a lie? No, it means this, that they were worshiping a shadow of the truth. And if we're not careful, we can fall into that same trap. We can can worship a shadow of the truth rather than the truth. I think to understand truth, I think we have to look in, 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 in Scripture in those moments when God's children recognized that they were in His presence and what, what type of response that solicited. Let me show you this real quickly this morning. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. It tells us this in Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And, and above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, let, let me mention this to you. That you'll see this, this holy, holy, holy many times in Scripture. The reason why you'll see holy, holy, holy in Scripture is this. is because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God is one. 
Okay? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. So when Isaiah recognizes that he's in the presence of God, what is his initial response? Here's what it says in verse 5 of Isaiah chapter 6. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. Some translations say this. I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. See, true worship requires that I, that I see God clearly. that I see him in all of his glory and all of his sovereignty. And, 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 and recognize this, that, that when that happens, we can come in this place and we can give one another the impression that we want to give. Right? I can give you the impression that I'm a nice guy. I can give you the impression that I'm intelligent. I can try. I can give the impression that I'm gracious. The last thing that I want you to see is what I look like when I first get up in the morning. Right? I come in here and I, I present my best. But when I, when I come to understand who God is and recognize his sovereignty, and I realize that there's no part of me that I can hide from him, go get your husband. Uh, I can't do that. You're right, you can't do that because you've been married five times and the man that you're with won't even give you his name. Here's what's interesting about that. I want you to notice this, that Jesus knew everything about her and yet he did not judge her. Okay? So it's easy for us, it's easy for us to take this arm's length approach to God because we understand that, that he can see everything about us and that makes us uncomfortable. Look at this story from Isaiah 6. He says, I saw the Lord. I saw him in all of his glory. I saw him in all of his sovereignty. And seeing him for all that he is and recognizing all that I am, my initial response was, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. God, I... I don't deserve to be in your presence. God, what I deserve is this. I deserve for you to just to destroy me. And yet, look at the mercy of God. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. 
See, when I worship God in truth, I come to understand who he is. I honestly admit who I am, but I watch God faithful in his mercy. And here's what that does to me. Notice this. The very next thing that happens. Isaiah, he sees the Lord. He freaks out. God pours his mercy upon him. And then God says this. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah responds, Here am I. Send me. 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 Listen very carefully what I'm about to tell you. Because this is important, and it speaks to who we are as a church. It speaks to what God is doing, and it speaks to the next chapter. It is impossible to be a true worshiper and not say, God, here am I, send me. God, send me to Orlando. Send me to Avedo. Send me to Maitland. Send me to Altima. Send me to Disney, God. Send me to Verizon. Send me to Lockheed. Send me, oh God. Send me, oh God. Here am I. Send me. God, in, 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 in light of what you've done for me, in light of the bread and the cup, God, in light of your ultimate sacrifice, God, in light of all that you are and all that I am, here am I. Send me. If we are missing that component, then recognize this. There's a high likelihood that we're worshiping worship and not worshiping the one who deserves our worship. Because there's a time coming and has now come that true worshipers will worship in spirit. That from the depths of us, our mind, our will, and our emotion will be focused on him. And we'll, we will worship in truth, recognizing who he is, recognizing who we are, recognizing what he does in our life, and recognizing the only appropriate response. Therefore, in view of your mercy, God, I give myself to you, whatever it is that you want to do in me and through me. I worship you. I want you to stand with me. And here's how we're going to bring our time to a close this morning. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back out. And we're going to take a few more moments to worship. And I want to challenge you. Don't worry about your vocal ability. Don't get caught up in whether or not this is your preferred genre. Take a moment and recognize you're in God's house in His presence. Reverence His sovereignty today.
Realize he knows you as you are. And today, here's what he says. I want to take all of the disconnected parts of your life and I want to make you whole. I want my spirit to empower you to where you can be a conqueror in your world. It's it's time for us his church to once and for all to be worshipers. Focused adoration.